to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg speak with the CEOs, financial experts, cultural icons, and generally interesting people moving the legal cannabis industry forward. This week, Anne and Lewis speak with Jason Rasnick, founder and CEO of Benzinga. What is a Benzinga? That's a good question, which I'm sure Lewis and Ann will discuss on today's show. If you're not familiar with Benzinga, it's one of the fastest growing financial news websites around and has, over the last few years, done some tremendous reporting in the legal cannabis industry. In January of 2019, the company held its third Cannabis Investor Summit in Miami Beach, Florida, where dozens of companies and hundreds of investors met for two days of fun in the sun, talking up marijuana investing. Lewis attended that event, and now you get to listen in on the conversation between Anne, Jason, and Lewis. But before we get to that, Anne sat down with Bill Peters of Investors Business Daily, which we'll start with. Don't sit back, lean forward. And now, on to the show. So I'm here with Bill Peters, who is the cannabis reporter at Investors Business Daily. Um, If you're not reading his work every day, you should, investors.com. So this was just a chance for us to kind of catch up post-holiday, see what's going on. Um, And I first wanted to ask you the question about the general, we were talking about this a little off mic, um, and you were getting into some really interesting stuff about the cannabis market in general. And, um, you know, between this market correction of, from late last year um, to whatever's going on with China to uh, the recent you know, government shutdown, the, the market seems to be put in a blender. And it's hard. You know, I, I log on to my Yahoo Finance every day and take a look at the stocks, and they, there is no identifiable trend I can see. I'm not trained to look at that, but I'm just wondering, as a, a finance reporter, what are you seeing? Yeah, you know, we're starting to get a little bit more clarity into that now. All the big banks, from J.P. Morgan to Bank of America to Citigroup, reported quarterly earnings this week. And, you know, it's interesting because Jamie Dimon and the executives from Bank of America and Citigroup all said basically that that underlying economic trends sort of belied the, the, the market craziness right now. In other words... The underlying data is still good, despite just uh, despite despite the despite the weird swooning and seesawing that's going on in stock markets. You know there is sort of this concern, though, and I think some analysts brought this up. At least one analyst brought it up during the call with earnings call with J.P. Morgan. There is this concern that maybe some investors are sort of trying to worry a recession into reality. The thing is, yeah, as you were talking about. Trade remains a concern. Higher borrowing costs as the Federal Reserve raises interest rates. That's a concern because that pushes up rates on things like credit cards and auto loans. And so there's concerns about whether the U.S. economy can really stomach that. The government shutdown also is a concern. Not helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, all, that's also not helping anything. Um, Jamie Dimon, during a call with reporters, had cited some, some estimates somewhere saying that the government shutdown could reduce economic growth this quarter to zero if it just kept dragging on and you know and that and that that affects the banks because if if no one's working at the government that means that the SEC can't approve things like IPOs that means government agencies can't approve M&A deals and you know as as far as you know and even um, the airlines which is another uh, area that I cover they've also said that uh, that that 
that that that that's affected say travel to you know to in and out of dc so yeah it, it is a problem yeah yeah so and are you seeing anything and is the are the cannabis markets basically following the general market in that way or is there a different kind of micro trend going on within the cannabis stocks you know that's a good question i don't know i can never tell on any given day what the industry is you don't following. have a crystal ball at your desk you know I think that I think that what what is happening, at least based on people that I've talked to, that a lot that there's a lot of so-called retail investors. Those are investors that they're not they're not working for some match, massive mutual fund. They're uh, they're they're just uh, they're they're people like me who right. you know and, or who, our listeners, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, trade accounts and you know, you know yeah. Uh, and and I, I if I if I tried day trading, I would just I would just be oh, I, I would be sleep. I would be swallowed into yeah. the vortex yeah. and. Uh, um, but you know there is sort of there's sort of this sense that 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 investors in the marijuana stocks are kind of going by the old adage of buy the rumor sell the news in other words you buy 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 uh, and, and, and there's something good up in the horizon uh, off in the horizon then when you get then when you get to that when you get when you get that thing that you want whether it's the farm bill being legalized or whether it's Canada legalizing recreationally then you sell off, you take profits, and then there are then there are just other things, you know, whether it's Altria agreeing to invest in Kronos Group or a short seller attacking Afria that have really, you know, uh, that have really plunged the stocks or you know just catapulted them higher. You had an article earlier this week uh, about uh, the brand Tilray um, and the fact that they um, they just had some investment from uh, a non company called Authentic Brands. Uh, and this is kind of, you know, along the lines of us talking about non-traditional companies getting involved in cannabis and really um, looking at opportunities um, and taking advantage of those opportunities. Can you talk a little bit about that deal? Yeah. So this would be like the second sort of cannabis company, retail company tie up in just the last few weeks that this company Green Growth Brands announced that it would be, you know, they would, would put some CBD products in DSW shoe stores and like nearly a hundred of them. And as for the, the till, as for the, the situation with Tilray, um, what they want to do with this. So, so Tilray has announced this revenue sharing deal with a company called Authentic Brands, which does a lot of marketing and kind of on the retail side. And so what they want to do is have like Tilray made farm bill compliant hemp derived <laughs> CBD products in stores potentially, you know, as in, in stores like, like Nine West or Juicy Couture. At least those are, those are the examples that CEO, the CEO of Tilray Brendan Kennedy sort of gave um, at a conference this week over how the deal might play out. So that might be, you know, that might be like foot balms for Nine West or or beauty products for Juicy Couture. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting is, uh, you know, I think that there's at least some of the, the people that I've spoken with and some of the researchers out there kind of indicates that in terms of in terms of brand awareness for a lack of a better term it's actually pretty low like nobody really knows what a lot of people don't really know like like what like marley naturals is or what what tweed is or you know whatever that's still pretty low and and that's still the case in the u.s and so i wonder what i'm wondering is if the strategy is and, and i'm wondering if there might be maybe more of an opportunity for the marijuana industry to kind of 
let some of these other companies and their reputations do the heavy lifting and, you know, potentially push sales higher that way, right. you know. It totally makes sense. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a smart move. If it works, great. If it doesn't, it's a really interesting experiment. Oh, sure. Right? You know, and I think that, you know, even though, even though the, even though the farm bill uh, legalized industrial hemp, you know, the FDA, after, after, right after that happened, the FDA put out this long notice basically saying that there are still restrictions regarding selling some of these products. Basically, don't get too excited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, don't get too excited. Don't get too excited. We're still the boss, essentially. And, and, and so there are, and, and there's, and they reminded, they, they, I think they tried to remind everyone that there are still some restrictions over selling, say, like CBD or THC food across state lines. There's still restrictions over marketing some of these things as dietary supplements. And, and they, and they have, you know, and they have, obvious concerns over some of the wellness claims that come with a lot of these compounds that are found in uh, different cannabis plants. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch for sure and to see, you know, what what people who aren't necessarily, and this is to really reach out to people who aren't necessarily exposed to cannabis or hemp products on a daily basis. Um, so it's, you know, mining a whole new market for them. Yeah. Um, so cool. Um, that's all I have for you. Is okay. there anything else you want to chat about? Anything we're missing? What's what's the big story you're working on that you can talk about? Um, it's 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 a long it's a long it's a long what I was just describing. You know the uh, that that is the the issue of how to make some of these products stand out when those products are based in essentially a commodity like tobacco or barley or hops, and and it seems like. The industry is sort of reaching this point that a lot of food companies, a lot of alcohol companies, a lot of tobacco companies had to deal with generations ago. And so I think it's it'll be interesting to see the, the ways that that plays out, especially for a product that's still federally illegal. So, yeah, that, that's 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 one of the things that I'm that I'm working on. Cool. Well, we've been chatting with Bill Peters of Investors Business Daily. Um, check out his work at Investors.com. Uh, anywhere else they can find you? Um, Are you I'm, tweeting? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm tweeting uh, at IBD underscore B Peters. And sometimes I, yeah, that's that's where I'll be. That's okay. exactly where I'll be. We'll put links in the show notes so everyone can find you. Um, really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, Jason, thanks for joining us. This is Lewis. Um, it was really great meeting you this week. I just got back from your conference um, in Miami, the Benzinga Cannabis Investor Conference. And um, before we, we get into like the meat of this conversation, I, I have to start. What the hell is a Benzinga? Like, what does the name mean? The name is a, a word. It's a word defined to ourselves. It doesn't mean like profit in like a different language, but as a word, it was made up my grandfather and I, when I used to go to speech tutor, I was one of those kids they told I was. They said I'll never be able to read back in the day when I was in first grade, and um, speech tutor. And we, my grandfather and I, would make up words, and just you know words that were funny sounding, and we made up a word that was Benzinga. When you're naming a company, you know it's like there's not an exact science, but you want to have a memorable name. It was the beginning of the alphabet, which is you know important, and um, Benzinga came about and developed into you know, hopefully this global media brand that didn't exist before 2010. It was started, you know, in my uh, basement. Well, actually talking about that, you know, 
starting a media company, uh, especially in this environment and the fractured media environment, um, really takes a lot of guts. Can you talk about the early days of Benzinga? Um, and then maybe do you still, um, you know, how much of it are you still owning? And I guess, you know, what's the, just take us through your origin story a little bit. Yeah. I mean, starting a company is a difficult feat. It was definitely a lot of days of very anxious nights, waking up at three in the morning and not being able to sleep. Um, it was, um, you know, I started cause I, I, I saw a problem that was in the marketplace. The, like there's a million media companies that all serve different purposes. The problem that I saw is there was no one out there giving small cap news in an agnostic, unbiased way. So you had your Bloomberg's, your Wall Street Journal's, Reuters covering the big companies, uh, Apple's and of the world, Google, so to speak. We focused on companies that were from $200 million in market cap to around $2 billion in market cap. That carved out a, that work, that carved out a, a niche for us. And the, the reason I got into that Back after 9-11, I was a widely followed writer on the defense stocks in that small cap space. I would write things and stop, stocks would move whenever I wrote them. The CEOs would reach out to me. It was the whole thing. I was 23 years old and doing that. And I was I was really good at researching them. And I'm like, why is there a place to cover these companies that are small? Because a lot of times these companies that are small outperform these companies that are large because they can innovate faster, take ideas to the market the whole execution game. And so I um, wanted to create a service for that. So that was in my basement. I had a three month old at home and you know, I handed it to any person starting a company or what have you. I mean, I went through severe anxiousness every day because you know, I had a three month old, the first website was started for $1,850, And um, now we're many, several years later and it's a much bigger company. And You're out of the basement? <laughs> we're, out of, we're out of the basement. We, are, uh, we, went, we went and visited that basement. Fox Business came and did like a story on us, and we got access to that basement. We went and did a little video. But yeah, that basement was an interesting basement. It flooded at one point. They had all my stuff down. It was great. So you, when you started the company, you had a real focus on in, you know in, in employee empowerment, employee engagement. You actually, uh, your I think it was the first twenty five employees had an equity stake in the company. Do you still have that that culture? I mean, talk a little bit about about that. So there was a term I came up with instead of like a hierarchy where you rise hierarchy by you know getting promoted. I came up with a word called doarchy. Um, so it's a do a doers culture. You know. The people have these false limitations on themselves of what they can accomplish. I don't care if you're 18 years old or 40 years old. Um, I believe that you can get in touch and make anything happen. And so I wanted everyone to, you know, be focused on the what and not the who. Focused on solving the problem versus what's the or who's the problem. And so the idea can come from anywhere. It's just the execution is what it's about. So really believe in empowerment and making better mistakes tomorrow. Um, and it's really about um, anyone here comes up with a concept, we'll explore it, and um, and that's where the empowerment part comes from. I did learn the hard way a little bit though that creating that kind of culture, this entrepreneurial culture, is not what everyone wants. A lot of people want structure and being told what they need to do and what the results they need to achieve, kind of thing. At the end of each day, they want the structure. So whereas I was a person that would go into a company and say they said I was doing this and I would do that and plus five other things, 
more you, I needed to develop over time more structure in place, which we've done over the past couple of years. Our, our, we've really the companies really started to grow, you know, from 2015 and on. 2010, 2015, we were fine our way and building these distribution agreements. I can get to that later. But 2015 and on is when companies really uh, started to hop, you know, and be consistent and organized and um, etc. I mean, starting a company, you know. I was robbing Peter to pay Paul. I had no money, and I was like, trying to find how to hire someone, but I had to make—I had to bring the money off revenue, um, etc. It goes for our kind of companies too. I mean, it, you know, ultimately, what we are are both professional services companies. I mean, you just have a different. I mean, you have a real deliverable. We have an, a, an amorphous deliverable. Um, let me ask: from one entrepreneur to another, in the early days, what was the biggest mistake you made? The one you went, "Oh shit, we're not going to recover from this," and then you did. Oh God. Um, Biggest one I make, biggest of, of many. Um, um, maybe um, at one point we really focused in on um, solely licensing data to quant, quant quantitative um, hedge funds. Um, I think we are at that point a little too, um, we didn't have enough data to do it in the proper way at that point. We were so focused in for nine months, that's all we were like doing, and the resulting growth did not come with it. Um, we should have um, taken a more of a, maybe more of a measured approach. I do like the focused approach. It's just that the market wasn't necessarily there for what data we had at that time. Um, we recovered from it, but it was some months that were definitely trying because the revenue wasn't following suit to the effort. Um, and you know, um, that yeah, I would say that one potentially. You know, we talked about the cannabis conferences. We did one in 2014, and we put them on we put them on hold for a couple of years. Maybe we should have kept that going. Um, and other things are like things that sometimes don't even know, you don't even realize that, Hey, if you would have went to this conference or the, you know, this person or met this person, you never know what would have happened. Um, it's funny like there's a person I just met that like a few years ago, we're in the same place and we're working together now, but like if we worked together a few years ago, what could have happened and what could have been built, you know, but now it's, I try not to look in the, I try not to look in that rear mirror. It's in the past. I try to really focus on the present and would say in the early days, uh, Lewis, I would be, um, I, w I would have that anxiousness. Okay, what's what's next month going to bring? What's six months from now? And what it does is just weighs on your head, weighs on your heart. And when you can only control the things you can control and just let the other stuff fall or it may. I mean, yes, you can take preventive measures. But I think in those early days, I was too, too of a worried person. You know, like I, too, I was too worried and didn't enjoy the ride a little bit more than I should. I should have enjoyed the ride more than I did. Well, let's talk about ideas that did work. So your initial focus um, was on the fintech side and the, you know, the financial and professional services side. Uh, when and why did you decide to, to take this laser focus um, on cannabis? You know, you mentioned your first show was in 2014 and maybe it was, you know, you were a little bit ahead of your time there. Um, but can you walk us through your thought process there and how it's grown? So Benzinga is so the Benzinga way that we do things. There's, as you guys know, the space. There's a, a lot of media outlets. But what what's different about each media outlet? A lot of them provide. We believe there's a lot of noise out there. So our value add is we try to get rid of the noise and give just the important, important stuff. And that could be in the st like stock market. We built a thing called Benzinga Pro. It's a real time trading news platform, and we get rid of a lot of the noise. We can go into different verticals. The way we see our business is we're a connector. We're a connector of investors to companies 
or companies to investors or people to products, people to financial products, you know? And so cannabis, just like crypto, these are natural extensions of our business where we should be covering that vertical. And we have a product on our market by platform called 420 Investor run by Alan Brockstein, who's been in the cannabis space for a while. And with him, we collaborated and he, you know, writes this cannabis information. It was just a smart thing to get the investors and get the people in the community and then the people that are reading Benzinga together in a different in a different way. We think we think we bring a different approach to how things have been done in the past. And we keep trying to bring that different, unique approach. If we're the same as how everyone else has done it, we're not gonna do it, you know? And so we um, that is kind of where I would say the laser focus comes in. Like how can we help educate the average person why cannabis is growing? Why is it something that's different than just like a fly in the night type thing. Why could this be a changing industry for the long term and really be billions of dollars of value created over the next three to five years? And and that's kind of where, where we look at. We don't jump on everything. Like we did cover crypto, but we didn't build out crypto as much as we built out cannabis. Can you talk about the investment that you've put really into cannabis? Because, you know, the relationship with Brockstein is one that I think if you know this industry, you know how important he is. But but, you know, you have some of the best journalists like Javier Haas. Where else have you made decisions to invest in, in this space? Yeah, great, 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 great point. I've literally just hung up with Javier before talking to you guys. We have a team of writers. I mean, Javier has been doing this cannabis stuff, and he's we have a team of writers now trying to cover this stuff. We want to inform our readers of what's taking place and what's moving. And so we're doing a lot more interviews so one-on-one -on -one interviews with CEOs, with people like you. Um, so we believe doing, you know, video interviews, articles, the conferences. I mean, we, think the, we think the conferences are really important because how do you connect real-life people to these companies? Um, in any industry, you're going to have the people that are not so, um, like, that are not kosher, that are doing shady things. So it's good to get people in person, be able to ask some questions, get investors in the room. And sophisticated investors. We just in our event, you mentioned that earlier. I think before the podcast that we had a lot of sophisticated investors. We curate who's in the room. We make sure that it's that value add. So we put a lot of investment into the production of the event. It's not just a sales game. Like oh, let's go get the sponsors. We literally and and not to be like egotistical at all. It's not it's not meant to be that way. But we literally curate who's in the room. I mean, we said no to probably over. 10 to 15, 20 companies that we're looking to, you know, present because not that they are bad companies, but we yeah. want people in the investment community to see the companies that we think right now are the ones that should be seen and should get explore, you know, should get more exposure. To do that, with the question you guys ask, it's taken a lot of investment from hiring experienced people who can fluff out what is the fluff, and it's also the relationships, like having a relationship with a company like yours or Alan or Javier or other writers to really bet, hey, what's this company? Is this real? And then if we're not sure, we call people in the industry and we say, hey, are you are they selling product to you? Are they, you know, who is the customers? We actually do that work. And it's crazy to think just for one sponsorship, I still remember we had to make five to ten different phone calls to find out if this company was really selling to who they were saying they were selling, which was a, which is a very big company. Like, And we did that work versus just going to sell, sell sponsorships. And I think I know this is a long answer, but I think that's one big differentiation, dif different, unique characteristic for our company. If we're just an event company selling sponsorships, well, then we're just an event company selling sponsorships, and we're just going to focus on that. We see ourselves as a, as a 
more than that. We see ourselves as trying to provide reliable information out there. So we don't want a company that doesn't fit that bill. So we're using our financial media brand and then our events link to make sure we're bringing the best of the best in one room. That's the most important part. So let's let's talk about innovation for a second, um, because you know you guys cover companies and and um, and this is really kind of a two part innovation question because you know I think about this a lot. You know, if, if you actually think you want to hear something funny, I was thinking about this. If you think about it, the guys on Gilligan Island, Gilligan's Island, right? Gilligan, Marianne, the Howells, the Skipper, they had to innovate with what was there in front of them to survive. Um, where are you seeing innovation? In, in the cannabis industry that's kind of inspiring you? And then from from what you're doing at Benzinga, like talk about the innovation that you're bringing generally to news because you guys take a very fundamental different take on, on the way you produce news as you've talked about than other news sites. But talk a little bit about, about that, the innovation in the industry that's inspiring you and then how that's bleeding into your company. Okay, so... The reason why, like, so when, when I talk to people about our, about our cannabis event, the first reaction you who are not in the industry, who are like just, you know, the first reaction is like, oh, you must have had a lot of fun. The thing with the cannabis space, my mom and dad are people that don't drink, never really, never smoke pot, nothing like that, you know? And now my mom, she got her med- her cannabis uh, medical license because she has a bad hip. She went and got a swat, a salve or, or, or whatever you call that, and to put out, to put on her hip. And again, and it's a thing. It's night and day. She can golf again. Um, the wellness aspect of CBD hemp, to me, is where the innovation is taking place. I mean, to hear that it you know can cure or work for epilepsy and things like that. It's um, to me, it's absolutely amazing. And um, innovation around medical cures versus all these um, drugs that people take is absolutely one of the most exciting parts of it and I really think it's just getting started I wish the testing was more was legal in the United States so we can have a lot more of this um, I mean I was talking to many people at the you know the BC cannabis conference who take those oils at night and they go to sleep they're not taking um, what's that one drug that puts you to sleep all Ambien. Ambien. yes yes so he, he used to take Ambien and he takes the three little things of oil under his tongue and goes right to sleep, or it's like the greatest thing. And he, and it's like, this is just a guy who's the CEO of a big company, um, not even in the cannabis space, but was at the event, a, an investor. And he's like, he swears by it. And that, to me, the innovation there, like, you know, part of people say, oh, marijuana's be legal, uh, so you can get high, or this stuff. It's, it's those other aspects of it, and this natural substance. And if you go back to the history of cannabis, or hemp, back in the day, when it was, before it was outlawed, out loud, out loud, you know, there's um, there's reasons, but people say the government didn't want it, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies wanted to sell this stuff. So you go back to the way history, and this guy, uh, Todd Harrison, is, you know, mm-hmm. he talks about it, and he um, was giving me the history on it, and I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it, and it makes sense. So to me, innovation is going to happen there where, you know, there are going to be some companies that develop brands that you're going to go get CBD for this, you're going to have, you know, have it this for this, and then, you know, instead of, you know, when you're super anxious, there'll be something that, that can help alleviate. Yes, it's mental, but you can help alleviate with, with cannabis. Innovation from a perspective, um, to me, innovation is the lifeblood of any company. And um, it might not be innovation in terms of like technology, but it's innovation in terms of thinking and putting things together. One plus one equals three. Um, and I think that's what we do well. So, for example, 
as I said earlier, guys, like there's a lot of noise, but if Benzino can do can do a really good job at doing three things, telling you the what of a story, the who of a story, and what does it mean? Like what action can I take? If we just do those three things every single time in a short manner, concise manner, we think we win. And why do I just say that that thing out out loud? Because it's it's the opposite of what it's known. To, it's it's the opposite of what an article is typically known to be. You you hear a story about this, it's going to be a big article. We'll cover the articles, but I'm saying I can help save people. So we can help save people time by giving them the what, the who, and what this means to you potentially. We think we solve a lot a, a lot of problems. Are you finding? Oh, sorry. No, no, that's it. Go ahead. Uh, are, are you finding a change in how people are consuming media? So are you looking at like, you know, are, are people more apt to watch a video clip or, you know, are they going to, are they finding your content more on social? Are they, and this is, I guess, more of a, a B2B question, but, you know, are, are you seeing a fundamental shift in, you know, people aren't sitting down to, you know, read the morning paper and, you know, if they are reading the morning paper, they're reading the top three sentences. They're not reading the whole article. Are you, are you changing the way you construct your medium to adhere to that or, or what are you seeing on that on the consumption side no that's awesome that's uh yeah we, we are in the sense that we think people are coming in and going out quicker so we're trying to deliver value earlier in the article and also on top of that we're seeing mobile traffic up a lot and we were late to update our mobile website which we're still in the process of doing um our Benzinga Pro is very good, but it wasn't working as great in mobile and something we fixed. So we, we're seeing a lot more mobile usage. Here's the, in, in the stock market space, Wall Street traders basically are on their computer with like six to eight screens. So mobile wasn't a focus for us because they're using those six to eight monitors. We're now getting a lot more individuals using us who want to use their iPad. Mm. And so we have to make the stuff mobile friendly. Um, and then the, the other thing is one thing we've always taken an approach is that we go where the eyeballs go. So we focus less on Benzinga, we focus much more on the, the BZ Newswires, Benzinga Newswires. We distribute our content to over like 100 partners. So we have 20, 30 million eyeballs a month because so maybe- So what are, what, are what are these partners? What kind of partners are they? Okay, so like think of any company in the financial space from an Ameritrade to a trade station to Yahoo Finance, MSN Money, Fox Business, you name it. Um, those are customers, partners, clients of ours. Um, interactive brokers, Robinhood, um, Thinkorswim. Though, like you name the, the platform. There's only one or two that we're not on right now. Um, but we're the we're the largest uh, publisher of financial news in North America now in the broker space. And that was honestly the hardest thing to build up. That we spent from 2010 to 2015. It's hard when you're starting when you're starting a new company and no one's ever heard of the company, especially the name is Benzinga. Like, where did this thing come from? It's just like if you think about Dow Jones Newswires, it was Charles Dow, and, and like they created this thing. Or we created a thing that we think delivers a lot of value, but we had to get the brand to be recognized because we have a lot of power in our, with our brand in the sense that our content is distributed to these major platforms. So we take very great concern to what gets published and what doesn't get published um, because we have this, you know. Um, because we're distributed to these platforms. You're using Ameritrade, you're seeing Benzinga all over it. You're using big platforms, you're seeing Benzinga everywhere on it. As a quick reminder, we are chatting with Jason Resnick, founder and CEO of Benzinga. 
Uh, we were just talking about data, and I'd like to continue on that topic for a moment. New Frontier was uh, a partner of yours at the last investor conference that everyone raved about, and then I'm super jealous that I wasn't there. Uh, but I'll get over it soon. <laughs> was there data that was presented that you that made you um, kind of perk up and pay attention? Was there anything uh, that in particular that stood out that we should be focusing on? New Frontier data did have a lot of data on like the growth and consumption uh, market that I thought was interesting, but not just in the U.S., but on an international level. I don't recall the quote offhand she gave. It was, oh God, it was like it was something, um, I, can't, I can't recall it, but the, they had some data that like, I was surprised at the growth in the last three years and what they forecasted it to be just based on like the Colorado market um, and then the lack of, you know, supply in Vegas. And so um, I think the thing that like that I was focused on is what's going to happen, you know, Michigan and then you have Illinois potential and like what's going to happen to the growth and what's that going to do overall to the space? And then what's it going to do to the pharmaceutical space? Benzinga is based in Detroit, Michigan, and Michigan just went adult use. Woo! Um, you have a, a pretty sizable workforce that works for you there. Have you thought about or put into any rules, uh, you know, about consumption or how do you guys deal with consumption or you don't care? Like, you know, just, just as a manager of people in a state now that has adult use, how do you think about that from a, an employee perspective or employee management perspective? Well, yeah, we have, we have beer 30 on Fridays at four thirty. <laughs> we go, we have like a beer and we go over successes, whatever, and just talk random stuff. And now we change it to just kidding. Um, we didn't change it to that. I thought I thought it would make for a good New York Times story if we did that. It would be awesome. You, you seriously, you would totally get. Um, and we'll pitch it. We'll pitch it for you. Yeah, I haven't done it though. I don't know. Is that a bad, I haven't done that yet. So um, I have no idea. I don't see why not. I know. I know people are going to do it eventually, but I haven't. You know. Well, it's a question of what the rules of social consumption are in Michigan, and I don't know what they are. Or if your office is considered private space, like I, I literally hate it. It's, like, it's, it's legal at home, right? And it's legal yeah. in Michigan. It's legal at home. You could have like... Guy, go back to the basement. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Uh, you're right. That's our reason. Okay, so it's... it's um, I, I, I don't, we don't necessarily pry in people's personal lives. We don't do drug testing here. Um, it's something that just isn't really brought, brought up in that regard. Now, Michigan, as of, you know, a couple months ago, went legal for you to have it at home. You can't buy it legally at stores. That'll be another eight or nine months. Um, but I do think cannabis and the way that we are talking about it as a medical, um, healing and the different things for pain will become more and more front and center as a, as a solution to things and not as it being seen as a drug for having fun. I really don't, I think that's really short-sighted in that, in that manner. Um, and it's, it's, it's so focused on that's what it is like for people. But when people really try for things that they have problems with, it's a night and day thing. My uncle um, has colitis and he, he went on this and literally night and day. So it's these things that I would be foolish if, you know, if someone here has a shoulder pain and they could use one of those ointments not to have the ointment, um, you know, and say, because we have a rule here that says you can't have an ointment, you know. So I, 
I did, we haven't gone into all that. The HR person's on the call, I guess. But um, it's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma for companies and and what 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 what's going to happen. Do you see in the, you know because you're in the space um, and you might be a bit jaded um, or or jaded is the wrong word, but do you in your community is the is the feeling about cannabis different than what you're seeing and reporting about? Um. So wait, say the question one more time. So, so I'm asking if, as a Michigander, um, in your community or, you know, Detroit or, or wherever in Michigan, is there um, a positive, you know, are people positive about this? Are they still on the fence? You know, because you're, you know, you're reporting on this and you're seeing this, that the, the, the industry is trending so far upward. Like, is that what you're seeing from a community level in a state like Michigan? Okay, so totally great question. Overall positive, we do get people saying there is no, there are no drug tests, real good ones for people smoking and driving, and they're not as uh, observant, so it's dangerous for a driving thing until they can have really good drug tests for that. That is where some of the fear comes in place. The other fear people have is, oh, is everyone going to be smoking pot all the time? You know, is this, is this going to become a thing? And people, people associate sometimes with smoking pot to being lazy, and have you guys heard that before? <laughs> yeah, we've heard it, and it's like I don't get it. I don't know. I really don't know anybody who works that's lazy and smokes. You know, it just—it's such bullshit. Yeah. So if you're lazy, you're lazy. You know. Yeah. It, 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 like smoking pot is—you could use that as an excuse. It's like saying um, you eat ice cream, so that's the only reason you're fat. Um, like that's like you had ice cream once. It's, it's the opposite of, of that. You know, people are who they are. You want to be a hustler. You want to make sh- shit happen. You want to, you know, like, this, it's, it's not part of the, the game. So uh, it's, they're, they're stereotypes. But by the way, I, I started an online textbook business in the year 2000 or nine, no, sorry, 99, maybe 97, actually. And I was one of the first online textbook sites in college to accept credit card. I was one of the first. Amazon existed. And I, like, people around me are like, this is the, it's the stupidest idea. People aren't going to put their credit card online into a system. <laughs> so that's what I was told a million times. And then I morphed and, you know, I had other his online businesses and they grow. And so it's like, if there aren't people talking negative about it, then you're probably not doing enough uh, experimentation doing that. That's the honest truth. So Jason, pitch us. What's next for Benzenga? We already talked about another conference in Toronto in the fall. Um, what's what's going on this year? Yeah, um, yeah. So you can find out more about that conference at bzcannabis.com, bzcannabis.com. What's next for Benzinga? We are doing a revamp to our main website, benzinga.com. So it's more about connecting with people, better getting information in a way quicker format. So if you, if you see something in the news and you want to know what was going on with it, what there was the result, what happened, we literally are going to have that first quick boom like every single time. And it's a, it's a big thing to be able to deliver information way faster than you can get it anywhere else. Right now we do it for a premium price. People pay anywhere from 100 to 300 a month. We're going to have some of that more in the free free world. Um, so on our site. Um, some of the other innovations are some tools that we're building that will help you look for and curate the companies that you're looking for that fit your kind of investment perspective. Um, and then we're doing a lot of other stuff with some, some partner websites that we're 
power and power in a lot of their content. And these are big, big, big websites. Think of 30, 40 million uniques a month. And we're powering a lot of like some of their content. Can't say those names right now, but um, well, that's like a total tease, man. What are you doing? I just can't say those names. Just means you'll have to come back. Yeah, you'll have to come back when you're ready to tell. I'm just saying, like, stay around Benzinga, stay tuned to Benzinga because there are some things on the horizon that I'm underselling right now in a big way that, um, you know, 60, 120 days should come to fruition. Um, I believe if you have a vision that's big enough, you know, then you can go execute and fail a couple times and some of these things hit and we're close on one of these things that is a very, very, very so, so what is, so you're, you're talking about your vision short term. What is your vision for the company five years from now or 10, 10 years from now? Like where are you, where are you taking this? Whenever someone is making an investment decision, a betting decision, a decision on should I or shouldn't I, or even a buying decision, they somehow are interacting with Benzinga content, no matter what. No matter where the decision is made, no matter what store that person is in, no matter what financial website they're on, they are somehow interacting with Benzinga content. Every time, every place, every situation. That's where we're taking the company. We've done that in a decent way so far to prove that success, but we want, we, we're thinking much larger in a much more global way where the eyeballs are and where there's a problem they're not being served. We've done this through you know a lot of hustle and sometimes not as great on making the product innovation so, so, so simple to use and we're there and close to a couple of these things you'll see some innovations, but you know, you're making a decision about investment Want to know why this cannabis company, what their pros and cons are versus another ones? It'd be nice to be able to see something really, really quick. How are you funded? Is it is it private funding? Have you raised capital? I mean, if you don't want to talk about this, I understand. We'll cut it. But um, but I'm really interested in the financials of your business because you're a media company, and media companies it's tough to be a media company today. And you're going through this massive growth, and I'd love to know. You know, not non-public information, but like, I'd love to know, like, the business side. Like, are you profitable? You know, are you are you going to go public someday? Like, I'd love to hear that side of the vision too. Sure. Um, I actually meant to post a LinkedIn post um, last week about an update from 2018. I just haven't got to it yet. Hopefully, I'll do it this weekend. But where you'll see some of the numbers, we had our strongest year ever, our biggest growth ever as well. Um, we took in some venture funding in 2011, I think, or 12. I think at the time that was 1.5 million. And then also did a convertible about a year and a half ago. Um, I think that was around there. But we're we're mostly like self, mostly like funded through our growth of our company. We were profitable last year. We're around 50, 60 people. Um, and we were profitable last year and growing. We grew, you know, Almost fifty percent um, last year. That's awesome! Congratulations. And if you do post that, we'll make sure to put a link in the show notes. Yes, that would be great. I want to. Yeah. I I meant to do it this week, this past weekend, and I don't really know. And then the reason I'm and the reason I'm posting it, by the way, it's like it's like I don't, when I see people post these things, these stories about growth and this stuff. It's like sometimes I'm like, shut up and run your business. But the reason I'm posting it, or I want to, it's for recruiting. 
And so people, when they want to look at Benjamin, I like they don't know what we do. They go to our site and see a bunch of articles about other things, but it's not easy to tell our story. We're we're not as good at that as we should be. It's something that we're going to focus on a lot on 2019, and that's the start of it. So writing like, hey, this company is really growing, kind of thing. Here's who we are. Here's what. Here's how we. Put, here are our values. And um, hopefully it'll help on the recruiting side of things because we need to recruit the best and the brightest developers in the world, literally coders for some of the stuff that we're building. And it's hard to go find them just by putting a job at it and they go see our site. Or we're looking for the best writers in the cannabis space in the world. We love that. It's hard to find them. So how do we do that? So I got to get out there more and tell the story, even though I'm kind of opposed to it because I think companies should just go out there and do their thing sometimes. And... Well, that's why you hire a PR firm for. Do you know any? <laughs> we'll connect you with someone. Jason, while you are sleeping, uh, this is really a chance for you to talk about something in the cannabis industry that you think isn't getting enough coverage or play. And I know it's a little bit of a weird question since you own a media company and you're not necessarily covering the space yourself, but do you, but, but as a sort of de facto expert, um, what do you think is an is an undercovered issue in the industry. I don't know if it's undercovered or if it's not. If it's not early enough, meaning it's there's still some time to take place. The cannabis industry, like other industries, will go through some consolidation. And what I mean by that is you'll see some of the bigger players, the Tilray's buying some of these other cannabis companies. What that won't really take place though until either the federal government. You know, title or ten, or until the federal laws change on the space. When that happens, you're going to see another huge spurt of growth in the industry, and when this consolidation or, or expansion, like a lot of M and A activity will happen. So there, ha like, there are some deal makers. So in the fintech space, there's like four basically banks that do a lot of the deals. In the cannabis space, there hasn't been like one or two. There's a few that do it, but like. There's gonna be a couple that are gonna shine, do some huge deals. So I think it's gonna be interesting to see who cements themselves in in the investment banking side to do some of these huge deals. And when the federal laws change, so we're not just on a, a state by state basis. Um, that's one of the areas that I'm like interested about um, in seeing how that comes about. And I, and I think our events, like what the Benz, Benzinga does, is awesome for that because we make sure to bring the deal makers on both sides into the room. And do we, you know, so the, that, that's the, that's part that I guess I'm excited about. Cool. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, it's uh, awesome to do it with you guys. I'm honored to be included as, you know, you bring awesome people on it. Yeah. We'd love to have you back when you can talk more about your, uh, your, your deals in the pipeline. Yes. We're going to make you name names next time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to Jason Rasnick from Benzinga. What a, an absolutely fascinating conversation. Um, and uh, to visit us here at The Green Rush. Um, as always, if you want to chat with me or Anne, find us on Instagram or Twitter. You can find us with the handle at KCSA underscore cannabis or to drop us an email. You can email us at greenrush at KCSA.com. I want more hate mail. Send me the hate mail. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One unbelievably long and circuitous take.